The show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Patients, docs, nurses, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we've tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Digital health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status, no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all, come on, let's go. Welcome to the healthcare rap, where we are ushering in the future of healthcare and the status quo no longer exists where we are challenging assumptions about marketing and technology, and we check yesterday's thinking at the door. Where truth drops like an atom bomb, and knowledge flows like Niagara Falls. Each week we challenge assumptions that have been holding back healthcare marketing, and explain how we can do better. Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. What's up, what's up? Shout out to all you in the posse. I'm Jared, and I rap about healthcare transformation. This is the place to be if you want to accelerate that transformation and if you want to be marketing forward. So here's what's going to go down today. We'll kick things off with the flavor of the week about first mover advantages. Then we'll welcome this week's guest, Russ Hill, to talk about what really drives culture in our organizations. Then hang with us for What's the 411 featuring Alan Shoebridge. Flavor of the week. There are those who, no matter what, are going to refuse to be ahead of the curve on anything. Whether out of fear, inertia, or lack of vision, there's simply no amount of incentivizing or convincing them to act or think in a new way. You can bring them data or share what industry leaders think, but they'll merely bristle at the thought. They remind me of some who live along the Gulf Coast where I grew up, where every summer and early fall were inevitably littered with hurricane warnings and evacuation notices. They were always the ones who ignored those orders and preferred to hunker down and wait it out rather than venture out and find safer ground, even temporarily. The familiarity of sitting in their living room while the storm raged outside might have felt safe at first until a tidal wave or tornado made its way to the front door. Thankfully, hunkering down during a storm doesn't always put you in danger, but doubling down in business. In this age of digital disruption and consumer transformation comes with plenty of other risks. For the rest of us who have a desire to be early adopters or even innovators, the need to stay ahead of the curve motivates us every day. But that doesn't mean everyone is always along for the ride, so it's useful to understand how to communicate the business reasons to justify the time and effort and budget that it takes. We typically know these reasons as first mover advantages, and I can think of three in particular that are valuable for healthcare organizations to consider. Number one, the stakes are low. Mark Cuban was interviewed for the Amazon Alexa developers blog last year, and here's what he said about the need to start learning voice. He said, now's the time to learn it. Now is the time to experiment with it. Now is the time to start using it, because you always want to take your risks when there's the least at stake, unquote. Number two, the bar is low. Even seemingly small innovations right now can improve your customer experience scores and patient reviews. This is a game of expectations. When that so-called innovation becomes the consumer's expected standard, it's too late at that point to look around and wonder why you're behind. Right now, you'll make headlines, but that won't always be the case. Amazon made a big splash, for instance, with the first six HIPAA-compliant voice apps last year, but do you think the next six will get anyone's attention in the same way? Number three, the data is deep. 
Paul Kutzinger is the writer who interviewed Mark Cuban for the Alexa Developers blog, and here's what he said. He said, Advances in technology and user experiences come in waves. Catching an edge early gives you a head start, and it also gives you perspective that later entrants just don't have, unquote. In other words, there is a learning curve to staying ahead of the curve, and the ones best suited to succeed are those who learn those lessons first. First movers see not only what's only out there now, but they envision the opportunities that are coming. Late adopters can't see those opportunities because they choose to keep their eyes closed. It's not too late for you to choose. Let's decide to stay ahead of the curve, and maybe our small pivots can start to make an even bigger difference in shifting healthcare. And that's the flavor of the Week. All right, it's time to spread the awesome with this week's guest, Russ Hill. Russ is a culture consultant and coach and a senior partner with Partners in Leadership. Russ, how are you doing today? Doing fantastic, Jared. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. You and I have been having a bit of a conversation on LinkedIn lately, and we're talking a lot about culture. And what I mentioned is how, in my mind, not to butter you up or anything, but it seems like you're killing it right now on LinkedIn with the content you're putting out. Some really cool short videos with really good, like the meat of the content, and then additional videos on YouTube that are longer. And you're talking all these culture hacks. I love even like, you know, the thought and the title of that way of how you've branded this thing, because I'm trying to think of anyone who would not benefit from focusing more on their culture. So uh, first and foremost, it, it, it's really cool to see what you're doing there. And uh, I think it's beneficial for everyone. Well, I appreciate it, Jared. LinkedIn, as we've been talking about, is uh, has quite a bit of reach right now. Anyone that's not using it from a from a content consumption standpoint, needs to get back on the platform and discover how much good content, how much learning you can do on that platform right now. On the subject of culture, it's you know, it's interesting. I did a, a search. Speaking of LinkedIn, I did a search the other day for how many people have culture in their job title. And of course, it's all industries, not just healthcare, but across any industry across the globe. And I, I was actually pretty surprised that over sixty-five thousand people were returned in my in my search. They've got some aspect of culture in their title, and so we're seeing a lot of a lot of movement, a lot of noise in all industries, but certainly in the healthcare space as well around culture. And my my experience is that feels right to people like we ought to be talking about culture, but for so many, they, they don't have what I think is an effective definition of what culture really is, where to start and what managing culture looks like. Perfect way to dive into the rap battle because that's what we're going to focus on. Culture, especially for healthcare organizations and where to go with this whole thing. And the definition is a perfect place to start. So let's head into our rap battle. Rap battle. This is where we challenge the status quo of healthcare marketing. We know we need to do it differently. And we know that digital is a big part of that. And there's this whole consumer transformation going on inside healthcare. And everyone's asking the question, like, how do we do this? And sometimes, Russ, it seems like we focus on the results themselves rather than what it takes to get there. And you recently put out 
some content about this, about how focusing on the results itself isn't necessarily like the, the beginning and end of what we need to do to actually change those results. You want to tell us more about that? I'm just drawing on my experience being in a ton of hospitals, you know, whether they're independently owned, whether they're parts of the biggest systems in North America, for-profit, non-profit, and healthcare systems that operate tons of clinics as well all throughout the U.S. So I've spent a decent amount of time in those organizations. I've done rounding. I've spent hours and hours and hours rounding with nurse leaders, meetings with executives of organizations that employ tens of thousands of people in this space. And some things that we've learned, and, and obviously we've got the whole show to talk about this, but where I would start, Jared, when you talk about results, our experience as a firm and my experience going into these healthcare organizations is Healthcare companies are really good at tracking 80 million things, right? I mean, they have to. And so you mentioned to a hospital or a clinic, what are you tracking? What are the results that are most important? They pull out a balanced scorecard and it's got a million metrics on it. And you have to monitor all those things. All those metrics are important. But when you're working on culture, what our experience has taught us is you need clarity throughout the entire organization on what are the three or four most important results or outcomes we have to deliver. And usually one of those is around patient experience or satisfaction. One's around safety or quality. One might be around growth or revenue or profit, or there might be some financial metric. And then there's typically one that's around employee experience. And so when you're working on culture, our experience is you gotta get clear on what we would call key results. And what are they? And where are we at now? And then what's one metric? Yeah, only one under each of those categories that, that we need to deliver on. What, what's the number we're trying to hit? That is where you start talking about culture. It's the starting place. You got to get alignment and clarity. And usually there's not clarity with the senior team, the team of administrators or whoever it might be overseeing that, that or running that healthcare operation. You need clarity at the senior team, then through the expanded leadership and then all the way down to the front line. I can't emphasize that enough, that alignment that we need. And you refer to this within the context of a, of a pyramid that I've seen you draw out where results are at the top. That's what we need to focus on. And we can take any of those that you just talked about, whether it's patient experience or growth. Those tend to be a couple that, that are at at the forefront of a marketer or, or communications pro at the forefront of their mind. Let's take one, you know, just one of those mm -hmm. as an instance. So if that's the result, then it sounds like from what you've said, just focusing on that result and telling people they need to do more of that result. <laughs> that's not necessarily the way that, that we get it done. There's a lot more to it and that there's, there's other layers uh, within that pyramid. Yeah. And the pyramid you're talking about, we call it the root. Results Pyramid, our, our firm, Partners in Leadership, developed this years and years ago. Our two co-founders, uh, Roger Connors and Tom Smith, and they ended up writing a New York Times bestselling book about it, Change the Culture, Change the Game. It's been out on the market for a long time. And basically what the Results Pyramid shows is, and just visualize this, if you will, right? Jared, you've seen it in videos that I put out. For the rest of you who are listening, just picture like a triangle, a pyramid. The top of it is results, as you said, Jared. So results are the top layer. Then the next level down on the pyramid, it's divided into four layers or levels. The next level down under, under results would be actions. And most leaders, most of us, when we're not getting the result that we want or need, we tend to go right to that action layer, and we, which is focused on, and actually this is really true in healthcare, because we are the kings, healthcare is the 
kings and queens of action items, new policies, new procedures. We layer on and layer on and layer on things, asking people to do things in order to drive certain results. So it might be take patient satisfaction or patient experience as one result or safety. And so we just need to get clear about what to tell people to do. And then when they don't do it, then we put out another policy or new policy, or we copy more people on the email, or we call another meeting or whatever it is, we're putting all this emphasis on the action layer. That's how most of us have been trained as leaders is you just tell people what to do. What the results pyramid shows is why people don't usually or sometimes or often do what we ask them to do. So again, on the pyramid, picture the top layer is results. The next layer underneath it is actions. And then the bottom two layers under the pyramid, so the, the layer under, under actions is beliefs. And most leaders don't ever spend any time. I certainly did during most of my career as a people leader. I didn't ever think about, well, what are the beliefs that people hold that are driving the actions they're taking? Because that department that we're trying to get to collaborate with us on whatever the result is, or that individual who's not doing what we need them to do, or that group of people who's not following the policy we just put out, why are they doing that? Well, it's because they hold a belief. They hold a belief that that policy is a waste of time, or that collaborating with us, we're hard to work with in our department, whatever it might be. There's a belief that people hold. And so when you're managing culture, our experience as a firm is when you're managing culture, you get to those bottom two layers of the pyramid, which are beliefs and experiences. Because the beliefs we hold come from the experiences we've had. I've had an experience with your department in this hospital, and it's driving me to not collaborate with you. Or I've had an experience as a nurse with this kind of a policy you've asked me to follow. It doesn't work. It doesn't help me give a better patient experience. So I'm going to disregard it. So when you're managing culture, you're managing the bottom two layers of the results pyramid. And that's the easiest way for us to show it to people visually. It's all about getting very intentional on the experiences we're creating and managing the beliefs that people hold. When you're doing that at its most basic form, culture, people think and act. And when you think about it, Jared, you know how long does it take someone walking into your hospital, your clinic, whatever it is, how long does it take the patient, member, customer to start forming some opinions about your culture. Like two seconds, right? Yep, exactly, exactly. And you even had an example, if I remember correctly, about an admissions survey or a, a form that you had to fill out coming into the ED for a hospital uh, yeah. that you dealt with recently. Yeah, that, this is a hospital in uh, in the Boston area here in the U.S. And one of the results, so we were working uh, with the system and as consultants, we started working with different departments inside this hospital. It's a large hospital, downtown Boston. And so we started working with the head of the, the ED, the emergency department. She had about 150 people that reported up into her. And th the conversation was around patient safety, patient quality. And one of the ways that her team affected that, as she described it to us, was, well, we need to get patient emergency contact information, a patient medical history when someone's admitted into the emergency room. Of course, we all know that, that's standard. And she told us at the time, well, we're only getting that information 43% of the time when someone's admitted into the ED. 
And of course, she wanted that number at 100%. Every single time somebody walks through the doors, we need to get emergency contact information, medical history. And uh, she went to work on, okay, I need to change that number. It needs to get higher from 43% closer to 100%. So she, she looked at the form that they were using and realized it was way too complicated, too long, four pages long. So she had it edited down to one page, just the most basic information we need to get from the patient. And then she had it translated into multiple languages because lots of different languages in downtown Boston. Then she put all those 150 people that report up into her in the emergency department. She put them through training. So they held training classes, introduced the new form, and then sent people on their way. And the next reporting cycle came out and she, she, <laughs> she was so frustrated because, and I laugh about it, it wasn't funny to her at the time. But the, uh, it's just ironic because it, it demonstrates what so many of us as, as leaders have experienced. And that is the number went from 43% of the time to 47%. She's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> all that work translating the form, all that work on training classes, and I got that small of a bump. And that's where the results pyramid that we were just talking about comes into play. She was putting all her effort on the action layer, which is what most people in healthcare do. It's what we're trained to do. And the problem was she was discounting or ignoring the belief that her people, her team held about the form. And that is, it's a waste of time. So I don't care how many pages long it is. I don't care what language it's in. I don't care how good your training was. I'm not using it. And so the belief that she needed to shift was, oh, getting this information actually affects patient safety, patient outcomes, it can save lives. And so she went to work on the bottom layer of the pyramid, which is the way you change the belief, the way you change a belief that somebody holds or that a team holds is you change the experience. You don't tell them to change their belief. It doesn't work. Anyone that's ever been in a relationship knows you just don't tell your spouse or your significant other, no, I actually am a good listener. <laughs> that doesn't work. You need to actually create different experiences for them to where they form that own belief, that, that belief on their own. So she went to work on managing the, uh, with our help, we, we coached her to, well, what's an experience you can, you can create for this team that would change their belief? And the, the way she did that was she told stories, which sounds simple, but so much of the culture of an organization is determined by the stories that people tell. So she went on a campaign over the next several weeks, Jared, where she went and she told two stories about where that form saved lives. And I'll just share them real quick. They're simple. One was around a Boston College student who was injured in an accident. She was rushed into the ER. They didn't get the form filled out. They ended up losing her. She passed away in the course of treatment. Examining the case afterwards, they discovered that she had a medical condition, a pre-existing medical condition that was conflicting with the course of treatment they chose. Had they known about it, they would have chosen a different course of treatment. So she told that story, nursing huddles, all different meetings. And she told this second story as well. And that is an elderly gentleman who was admitted into the ER. They did get the form filled out. He wrote his daughter's name, telephone number, and some medical history down. He became unresponsive in the course of treatment. They called the daughter. Here, your dad's here in the ER. Here's the medical history he gave us. Is this complete? We need to know if there's anything missing. She said, yes, there is something missing. He had a procedure done recently. He's on another prescription, another medication he didn't write down. They were able to figure out what that was. And the, long story short, 
they realized the medication he was on that he didn't write down was conflicting with the treatment they were giving him, altered the treatment, his life was saved. So she went out, told these stories, the belief changed. The belief among her team became, oh, that form actually saves lives. Long story short, the, the percentage went from 43% to 47% of the time that form was used to over 90%. And the reason is the culture, the, the belief in that department changed. And that is, oh, that information is critical to patient outcomes, patient to, to us saving the lives of our patients. Once people in her department held that belief, then they did what they she was asking to do, get that information. I need a dime, I ain't faking a book. You crank out content, but it's getting stale. It might be nutritious, but it tastes like kale. You're down with finding a way to up your marketing game. Yeah, but when you look for help, everyone seems lame. We're Ultera Digital. Google us and see. We're spelled like ultra with an extra E. We'll help you market forward. Google us and look. We're Ultera Digital. It's off the hook. Hey guys, this is Jared. Ultera Digital is just another name for our consulting team that helps you when your content, your strategy, or your brand is getting stale. You know, like that chocolate glazed donut that was a little piece of heaven in the morning, but when you left it on your desk until 4.13 in the afternoon and you went to finish it off, by then, mm, not so heavenly, was it? By now you know our philosophy that content is the future, but only when it engages audiences and it isn't a snooze fest. And you've heard how we roll. The healthcare rap, what you're listening to right now is Exhibit A. We don't do boring. So if your content, your special event, or your strategy is getting stale, let us help you give it that spark, that rhythm, that new life you're looking for. Ultera Digital, marketing forward. Okay, now back to the podcast, right? Because it's pretty legit. Those stories are so incredible. And I can see it happening. You know, I can see that in real life where that's going to change things so much more. I've, you know, I've been a part of those campaigns where we were trying, I think it was a patient portal signups, logins, and going through all the effort to, yeah, to improve the, the UI and let's, let's do more campaigns. We just need to inform people about things. And uh, so it, was, it definitely hit home for me because uh, I've been a part of those efforts that yielded a, a tiny bump, a tiny, that tiny increase in something. And, and then we were still scratching our heads of like, why, why isn't something happening? And it seems like everything, I mean, culture and, and human behavior are, are so tied together. Those are the things that, that if we're not paying attention to, then we go, we do put a lot of effort into these other ways of, of trying to get results. And, and they ultimately, they might get a little bump, but this just feels very across the field. Like, like this is the way that it happens time and time again, because we're not paying attention to the right, the right pieces of this. So like, uh, you know, what about, what about le- leadership? Uh, if, uh, if they recognize that, okay, you know what, this is resonating with me too. I, I do want to do better recognizing the, the bottom couple layers of that pyramid and, and really diving below the actions layer to understand how to affect it better. Where's a good starting point for a leader in that situation? You start with, you can't manage culture until you define it, right? And so, so many organizations, this goes back to what, what, what I was talking about as we started the show, started the interview, and that is, you know, a, a lot of people have the wrong definition around culture. They think culture is free popcorn and, you know, foosball tables or it's certain employee benefits. And certainly all of those things tie into the experience people have working for us. But culture, if, it, if you define culture as the way people think and act, the place you start with okay, is, okay, what are the results we need? So patient experience right now, we're in this quartile or this percentage. This is where we're at. 
or whatever the metric is, this is where we're at now, in three to five years, where do we need to be? And there are very few organizations that are satisfied with just small incremental growth. And so, I mean, we've worked with hospitals, I'm thinking one in the DC area right now, Washington DC area, where their patient safety was pathetic. It was horrible. They, the CEO, when she first called us in to work, help work with the hospital, she didn't care at all about patient experience scores. She cared about patient safety. They needed to stop harming the patients and made a dramatic example. But so she was hired and she was put in there to, to transform the hospital. Now, not every hospital or every clinic is in that bad of a shape, thankfully. But most of us have been hired as leaders to transform the results. We're not here just as placeholders, just to kind of manage things. And tomorrow can be slightly better than today. And that's okay. No, most of us, we've either got low patient satisfaction scores that we need to dramatically change, or our financials need to grow in a dramatic way, or safety, whatever it is, or employee experience, employee engagement's not where it needs to be. So we need to transform it. So when you're working on culture, Jared, where you start is to get clarity around the results. In three to five, Five years, where do we want to be? We call it R2. R1, the results we're getting now. If you think R, the letter R with the small one next to it, R1 are the results we're getting now. Well, what's R2? Where are you as the leader taking us? And so you define what that vision is and you do it with just one or two metrics. You pick one or two, patient experience, safety, growth, employee engagement, whatever it is. Then you look at, well, what are the beliefs, going back to the pyramid, what are the beliefs that people hold right now that are causing us to not achieve that? You see, my experience is with hospitals, if they're trying to affect, or clinics, if they're trying to affect patient satisfaction or customer satisfaction or whatever, they look outward at the patient when so much of the problem with the experience is actually inward. And so before you start looking at the patient, you need to look inward at, well, what's the culture that's producing that employee or that patient experience. Because a patient satisfaction score is a reflection of your culture, period, end of story. And so you can add iPads and you can add new technology and you can hire firms that give you all these checklists and you can go to conferences and you can analyze all this stuff and you can try to copy Mayo or Cleveland or whomever else you want to copy. But the reason those organizations are getting the patient outcomes and patient experience they're getting is because it's a reflection of their culture. So you start looking at what are the beliefs we need people to hold in order to achieve that result, R2, that we've defined that we're trying to hit three to five years from now. And you come up with just four to six shifts we need in culture. Right now, we're not one team. We act in silos. Our departments, our units are all thinking different things that are out for each for themselves. Okay, well, that's what we currently believe. The belief we need to hold is we're one team. Right now, it's all about us. It's not enough about the patient. We need to put the patient first. Okay, that's the second shift. Third shift, we need people to do what they say they're going to do. Like, we don't have enough accountability around here. Okay, well, that might, be the, that might be the next shift we need. So whatever the shifts are, you get clear on defining that, and then you get everyone recruited. It starts at the senior team, starts with the leaders, but then you have to get everyone throughout the entire organization mobilized. There's a process and a way to do that to shifting the culture. And once, once your culture starts to shift in the ways we just described or whatever is appropriate for your particular healthcare organization, you see tremendous movement, acceleration toward the results you're trying to achieve. 
Russ, this is such an important conversation to hear and, and to have and to to continue within our organizations. And I thank you for for really getting us going down this road. And it's I know it's not just a one time. All right, cool. Now we're going down this road and everything's going to be okay. There's a lot more to talk about. And and I appreciate your time today. Any other closing? You know, any other thoughts about culture that you'd want to share before we head out? Yeah, <laughs> and then there is so much. What I would say, Jared, kind of in the end is. Anyone, anyone who's listening who is, is wondering after putting a ton of effort into trying to affect a patient satisfaction score, or trying to get financials to grow or trying to move the needle on employee engagement or whatever it is and is sitting back going, I don't know if it's possible. I, sometimes we have organizations or leaders that come to us and they're like, can you really? I mean, is it really possible for you to manage to shift the culture? Isn't culture something you, hospital has a culture. It's been that way for 15, 20, 50 years. And I'm pushing this boulder, trying to move this boulder. And is it even possible to change the culture? The thought I would leave people with is absolutely. If we had enough time, I could tell you story after story. That hospital in DC that I told you about, they were trying to stop harming the patients. Within a year, they had dramatically impacted the patient safety scores. They were top in their organization that owned multiple hospitals in patient safety. And then they went to work. Once they stopped harming patients, they went to work on shifting the culture to where they, they improved dramatically in their rankings on patient safety. Within a year, they had moved that needle on that. The CEO of that hospital ended up getting promoted to the biggest, she's now the CEO of the biggest uh, hospital in the Washington DC area, one of the largest hospitals in the country because she managed the culture. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a marathon, not a sprint. But if you're wondering, can I really impact it? Can I really affect it? The answer is absolutely. Don't give up. And it's just a matter of you got to upskill. You got to learn how to manage culture. And once you do that, you can dramatically affect these results. So don't lose hope if your organization is struggling in any of those areas right now. You can change the result. What's the 411? Hi, I'm Alan Shoebridge, and here's the 411 for healthcare marketers. The start of the year has kicked off, and I want to talk about what's probably going to be our biggest challenge uh, throughout 2020. It's focus. And I'm not trying to make a cheap 2020 pun or joke here. Focus has probably always been our main challenge. It's a challenge in healthcare marketing. It's a challenge in probably almost all other industries. Uh, but keeping that focus going is going to be what really makes or breaks your year. So I know like if late last, last fall in 2019, uh, you worked up a great marketing plan. Um, so right now you should be in the process of actually working that plan, um, executing what you've got uh, laid out. But we know distractions are going to come up. Just in the past two weeks alone, I know there was a lot of stuff going on. We had the Consumer Electronics Show. Uh, there was a lot of talk about what healthcare devices and things were going to be available there, what sort of digital strategies were possible. Um, we had the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference. Again, lots of hype with that. Plenty of uh, things to get distracted by. I think there's probably also a good chance uh, you've already been asked to do something that wasn't on your plate or wasn't on the radar at all, maybe even in last month in December. So something new that's come up. So for all of us, I think the question is really, can you stay focused and how will you do it? Uh, overall, I feel like there's kind of four keys to success. Uh, number one, we talked about having a plan. So you need to be able to work that plan. 
Uh, you need to have your priorities. You need to have discussions if things come up about where they fit um, with what you're already doing. I think you also need to allow yourself a little time to experiment. And for each person, that's a different amount of, of percentage. Maybe it's 80% working what you got planned and 20% experimentation. But again, you've got to work the plan. You've got to uh, stay faithful to the direction you laid out. The second thing is if you try something, you need to commit to it fully. There's so many things we could do these days. Again, I talk about those distractions. Are you really executing everything you're invested in well enough uh, to take something new and do something? And if you are, just make sure that you commit to it fully. So again, so many things we could do, should we do it? I think a third point kind of uh, relates to that too, but it's sort of self-awareness of what you need to do versus what you want to do. So again, there's so much we could do, um, but how much pressure are we putting ourselves to do something that no one else is even asking for? Again, that can be a good thing, but it can also distract us from the core elements we need to deliver and the core functions of the business, and we can get distracted. So again, allow that time for experimentation, but be aware, again, are people asking for this or is this something you're putting pressure on yourself that's gonna distract your focus from everything else you've committed to doing. The fourth thing is, is related to those past three as well, but it's looking for trade-offs. So if you're gonna do something new, um, you need to trade something else off. Again, if that's sort of above the line and below the line priorities have changed, um, how are you gonna, gonna reevaluate and balance to make sure you can stay focused? So that's the big challenge I think for right now. Um, we're only a couple weeks into the year and good luck uh, keeping your focus for the rest of the months to come. Thanks so much for your time, Russ. Uh, what's the best way for listeners to reach you? The easiest way is uh, russhill.com. So on russhill.com, you can find out how to connect with me on LinkedIn, where like you said, Jared, earlier, I'm putting out content every single day, little hacks, one minute videos, little you know snippets on how to manage culture, some of it healthcare related, some of it from other industries. So you can figure out on russhill.com, you can connect with me on LinkedIn and other social media platforms. Fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Russ Hill. He is a senior partner with Partners in Leadership and a career consultant and culture consultant, more importantly. Fascinating topic. We're all dealing with it. We all need help with it. So reach out to Russ if you have any questions about anything he shared with you today. And thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to join the posse. Listen, subscribe, leave a review and tell your friends. Healthcare App is an Altera digital production and a member of the Shift.Health Network. So on behalf of Russ and myself, keep marketing forward. Thanks. And that's a wrap. Thanks.